Well, kids, I've got a question for you on this Christmas Eve, and it's a really simple question. Uh, but my question is this. Does anybody here know how to play the game hide and seek? Who knows how to play the game hide and seek? Who can explain for me, really simply, the rules of hide and seek? Who wants to give that a try? M- Mary Martha? A lot of people hide. One person tries to seek them. We'll come back to that last part in a second. So everybody goes and hides. One person's looking. Who knows? The the person that's looking, uh, who knows what he or she says right before they come to try to get you? Anybody know? Yeah, May. After they count down, what does the person say? Wes. Ready or not, here I come. Is that what you were thinking, May? I know, I know. Sometimes it, in the moment, it slips our, slips our mind. Ready or not, here we come. Okay, and then lastly, how is the game of hide and seek won? Yes. Yeah. Yes, or, or when the finder finds everybody, right? Then they kind of win, right? Good, great. Very helpful, guys. The reason we've talked about all of that is because tonight during the sermon, we are going to be talking about how, in a sense, Christmas is kind of like God's ultimate game of hide and seek. And so on your activity sheets, if you have them, uh, we've got some questions for you to answer as you listen along to the message and consider the good news of Christmas and how God has come in search of you. Church, throughout this season of Advent, uh, we've been looking at the story of Mary and considering how her faith could be an example for our lives. And particularly, we've been considering uh, Mary's faith in comparison with the faith of Eve. And while this has been a really good series and it's been really challenging for our lives of faith, if I'm honest with you, As we've walked throughout this Advent season, what I've discovered each and every Sunday is that as much as I want to be like Mary in regard to her faith, in regard to her obedience, in regard to the natural way in which she just immediately turned to Jesus in times of need, as as much as I want for my faith to be like Mary's, what I'm finding is that often what comes more natural to me is a faith that looks much less like Mary's and much more like Eve's. Anybody else feel that way? In some ways, it only makes sense for us. Because Mary is the mother of God, but historically Eve has been known as the mother of us all, of all of the living. And so, in that sense, we all came from Eve And in the same way that a child often uh, shares physical similarities or or personality likenesses with a parent, we all share a spiritual likeness with Eve, our first mother. Now, the problem with bearing such a likeness with Eve is that as we've considered throughout this whole season of Advent, Eve's decisions often led her into difficult and destructive places. Her lack of trust in God's word led to her being easily deceived. 
Her disobedience to God's ways led to her experiencing death. Her inclination to trust in herself and to take matters into her own hands led to her hiding from God in despair. Eve was seeking joy and life and blessing and wisdom. But she sought those things in all of the wrong places. And her decisions eventually led to her experiencing the exact opposite of all that she was looking for. The same has been true for her offspring as well. And this may be most poignantly exhibited in the life of Eve's first child, Cain. Many of you know the story of Cain. In a fit of jealousy over his brother's generosity, Cain killed his younger brother, Abel. And so the habits of listening to deceiving voices, of committing acts that lead to death, and of insisting on taking matters into their own hands continued in the family line. And at the end of Cain's story, there is a a telling description of the state of Eve's legacy. When Genesis chapter 4 verse 16 says that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled. Now that statement is obviously describing Cain's physical location, where he chose to dwell. But isn't that all too often a perfect and perfectly sad description of our spiritual state as well? So often we go away from the presence of the Lord and we settle there. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to distance yourself from God? Have you ever tried to hide from His presence? Ever tried to escape the conviction of guilt and the, and, and the shame that comes along with it when you've done something wrong? Ever tried to get far enough away from God where you no longer hear His searching voice calling out, where are you, as He calls you back to Himself? If we're honest with ourselves, I think we'd all acknowledge that it's really easy to move away from the presence of the Lord And to settle there. Jeff Chapman, who's a retired Anglican priest, said this about moving away from the presence of the Lord. He said that when we are away from the presence of the Lord, the goodness of life erodes. The absence of God becomes normal. Human dignity disappears. Evil becomes ordinary. And then he goes on to acknowledge that the Bible has a word for this, for being away from the presence of the Lord. The word is lost. And he said, when you are lost, you don't even know where you are or where you want to go. And so you don't know the way. And when you're lost, you don't know what life is for. And so you don't fit in and you just bump around. Often you bump hard. And I don't know about you, but as I look at our world and often as I look at my own life, this is often what it feels like. People trying to find their way in the dark, not knowing where they're supposed to go or why they're supposed to go there, having no real direction. 
confused and anxious about everything, just bumping around in the dark, often crashing into one another in harmful and destructive ways. And if that were the end of our story, if God had been okay with us moving away from Him and settling there, if He was content to let us run away and hide, then we would have nothing to celebrate this evening. And all the candles and the carols and the bells and the presents and all that we celebrate at Christmas, it would all be ultimately meaningless. The good news for us is that God is not okay with this being our state in life. God is not okay with us being lost. God is not okay with the goodness of life eroding and with human dignity disappearing and with evil becoming ordinary in our lives. God is not okay with us living life apart from him. And so it was into this setting, into this lost and dark and confused world that the message of Christmas is proclaimed. We heard it in our scripture readings this evening from Isaiah chapter 9 and Luke chapter 2. That the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And that we need not fear our disorienting circumstances any longer because there is good news of great joy For all people. And that good news that was proclaimed. And that bright light which was shown into our world. Was the birth of a child. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been given. Unto us was born this day. Some 2,000 years ago in the city of David. A savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the message of Christmas, that a Savior has been born to us. And this is the hope of our world, that in the person of Jesus, God has come to find us and to rescue us out of our darkness and out of our lostness to help us find our way Again, And throughout our reading from Isaiah chapter 9, we heard about the transformation that would occur as a result of the coming of this child for all who would submit themselves to his reign and his rule in their lives. The prophet said that there would be a movement from gloom to glory, from darkness to light, from sorrow to joy, from oppression to freedom. Because this child would reign and rule as a wonderful counselor and as mighty God, as an everlasting father and as a prince of peace. Those are some profound titles to be given to a child. So I want to take just a moment and consider what they might mean for our lives. Isaiah said that Jesus would be a wonderful counselor. Meaning that he is one who is infinite in wisdom and who can give guidance and direction to help us out of any difficult or broken situation in our lives. He is a wonderful counselor. 
Next, Isaiah said that Jesus would be called mighty God. Meaning that he is perfect in power. Unlimited in his ability. Able to accomplish whatever he desires to accomplish. He is a mighty God. Third, Isaiah said that Jesus is our everlasting father. And that he is one whose care over us is endless. And who always and only ever does what is in the best interests of his children. He is our everlasting father. And finally, Isaiah said that Jesus would be the prince of peace. Meaning not just that his reign will be marked by the absence of fighting and conflict. But that his kingdom will be a place of harmony and wholeness and completeness and prosperity. He is a prince of peace. This is who was born into our world on that first Christmas morning. God himself in the form of a child. And if you think about it, he is absolutely everything that we could ever need. He is our wisdom. He is our strength. He is our love. He's our security. He gives us guidance when we're confused. He sets us free when we get stuck. He brings calm to our fears and to our worries. He loves us with an everlasting love. He brings flourishing and wholeness into every part of our lives. In sending Jesus into this world, God has given us everything we could ever ask or ever need. But even more than that, even more than the fact that Jesus' presence in our lives gives us everything we most want and everything we most need, His presence actually gives us something greater. Because in His coming, Jesus has given to us the very thing That we were created for. Here's what I mean by that. In the beginning of creation. We're told that Adam and Eve. Were with God. In the garden. And that life there was described. As very good. That's what we were created for. For intimate union. And communion. And life together. With God. That is why we exist. And at the end of history, we're told in Revelation 21 that the dwelling place of God will be with mankind once again. And that life there is going to be perfect. That's what we're headed for. We were created to be with God. And our destiny is to be with God once again. And this is what is so amazing about Christmas. And this is the majesty of Emmanuel. Of Jesus who is God with us. That though we have run away from him. He has come to find us. In order that we might experience all that we were created for. In order that the goodness of life might expand and grow. In order that the presence of God might become normal in our lives once again. In order that human dignity would flourish for all people. And in order that the evil of this world might be defeated and destroyed. 
This is the beautiful reality of Christmas. And this is the profound kindness of our God. That though we have gone away from the presence of the Lord and settled there to our detriment, He has come near to us and settled here for our salvation. That though we ran and hid, He has come to find us. So church, I have just one question for you on this Christmas Eve. Have you been found by God? Or are you still trying to hide from His presence? This is both a a one-time question and an everyday question. It's both a, a starting of faith question and a living of faith question. Have you been found by God? Or are you still trying to hide from Him? Whatever your answer to that question may be, this evening calls out to us in the most profound way. Ready or not, here He comes. Merry Christmas.